I'm Jennifer Grayson, and this is the Uncivilized Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the final episode of season one of the Uncivilized podcast, where these past six months, we have been reconciling our modern industrial urban existence with our innate human need for the natural world. I'm Jennifer Grayson. If you've been listening all along, I want to thank you so much for sticking with us through our evolution this first season. Your support has meant so much to me. This community is really growing. We've been adding anywhere from 500 to 1,000 subscribers with every episode. We just made the front page of iTunes in our category. That's natural sciences, in case you're wondering. And if you've just discovered the show, thanks for checking us out. We are going on hiatus probably until the fall. So you've now got 22 episodes to go back and check out until then. We have a great show, a really fun show for you today with Amanda Kaloya and Elizabeth Wells of Everwild. That sounds like it could be a band, but it's actually a community here in LA that connects families to the wild through an outdoor homeschooling program, family adventures, and a lot more. More about that in just a moment. But I first want to say, you know, I think it's perfect that this last interview is about a community like Everwild because, you know, I started Uncivilized on this quest to find out how to restore this connection to nature that most of us have lost in the modern world. That's what I felt like I was most missing from life here in Los Angeles. That's what I thought I was searching for. And that is a huge component. But my big takeaway from this first season is that what we're also really searching for is community. That's what I heard from every guest on this show, whether that was Greg Hennis, who created Prairie Mountain Folk School, so that people could learn how to build real things with each other in real life, or Sarah Mankadek, who was struggling through the solitary quest of modern motherhood, or most recently, Chris Morosky and Rachel Natland, who are recreating the ancient village experience with their elements gathering in the ancient sequoias. We now know that for most of human history, we lived in these tightly woven hunter-gatherer groups of 25 to 50 people. Even right up until the industrial age, we lived in close-knit villages that had hundreds, if not thousands of years of cultural heritage to bind people together and to guide us in the best way to live our lives in that particular place. And in such a short time span, you know, so many of us have come to live these intensely solitary, increasingly virtualized lives. And so I've realized that this quest is actually twofold, restoring a connection to nature and restoring our connection to community. These are two things I now value and I want them in my own life. And I've come to see that so many of my day-to-day struggles here in LA are because my family has not been living a life um, aligned with those values. So that leads me to my big exciting personal news that I promised you last episode. Because of my husband's work, he is a screenwriter, we are actually going to be relocating to rural Georgia for almost three months starting in May. Um, You know, I do think it's possible to find a tribe and find more nature in the city, but we really need a break from urban life. And so I'm excited to see how I feel living for an extended time in nature, which is something I haven't done since I was a teenager. Of course, 
that trip is not going to last forever. Uh, but interestingly, we also just found out that we have to move out of the house we've been renting for the past few years here in LA. So I'm excited to really put some intense thought into where we can live when we return so that life feels more aligned with nature and with finding true community. All right, I have got a lot of packing to do, so I am going to segue now to our episode with Amanda Kaloya and Elizabeth Wells, two of the co-founders of Everwild. These are two amazing women. Amanda is the lead mentor for Everwild's outdoor homeschooling program, but you know, she's very LA of her. She is also an incredible skater, an incredible snowboarder. Her background is in outdoor education. Um, Elizabeth is a homeschooling mom. She studied psychology and art history at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. And she shares a lot of her own personal experience here of how she came to the world of homeschooling. We had a lot of fun taping this episode. Amanda and Elizabeth came over to my house where we hung out. We drank some forage tea. We walked, we uh, talked in my backyard. I want to give you a heads up that I have a very urban LA backyard. So the sound quality isn't as pristine as most of my other studio recorded episodes. Uh, You're definitely going to get the ambiance of what my life is like here, including roaring airplanes and leaf blowers. Uh, At one point, it got to be a little too much and we had to head inside. My older daughter was also home recovering from a cold, so she got to make a guest appearance on the episode toward the end. Uh, Yeah, it was a little crazy, but I know you're really, really going to enjoy Amanda and Elizabeth. Just so you can tell them apart, Elizabeth's voice is the first voice you will hear. All right. Thank you again for listening, for your support, for your community. I also want to give a shout out to my hardworking sound engineer and also to all of our amazing guests this first season. If you've enjoyed this show and you haven't yet, please leave us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. We will be so grateful. Uh, While we're on hiatus, you can follow me on my Instagram page. That's at Jennifer Grayson one. That's it for me for a few months anyway. And I hope you get some time to uncivilize in your own life this summer. And where did you find this and what is it called? So this is Yerba Santa. Okay. Um, It, we got it at Christine Argish's class at Hahamongna. And supposedly it's really good for upper respiratory infections. I used it in my past couple colds and... It really worked. Like, oh, if you wow. feel a little constricted, it really opens up your airway. Yeah, that's how I was feeling, like, this morning. Really? There's been a few mornings where I'll wake up, and I'll be like, <clears throat> and parents ask me, like, oh, are you getting sick? And I'm like, no, just randomly some mornings. I think it's probably my diet-related. I ate a lot of cookies recently, and I'm not supposed to have dairy, so. <laughs> yeah, or L.A. air pollution. Or L.A. <laughs> yeah, air pollution. The bigger problem, probably, than yeah. your cookies, Amanda. That's <laughs> the thing, right? But, oh, cool. Thank you. I'm so excited yeah. to be. Are you trying this one, too? Oh, yeah, I'm drinking it, too. Oh, good. Because I also felt that little tickle, so. Oh, yeah? Yeah, sometimes it kind of takes it away. We'll see. It can't hurt you. I, I don't like it. think. It tastes really good already. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. I have yeah. insurance. We're good. Why did you start the forward. Uncivilized Podcast? Oh, that's man. question. All right, so now you're interviewing me. <laughs> um, so I wrote this book called Unlatched, which I, is, I yeah. That. Yeah, okay. And uh, it's a cultural history of breastfeeding, and... The real premise of it was that it's this way that we have become disconnected from the natural world and from our inherent biology, which is this topic I've always been fascinated with, um, even when I was a little kid. You know, I was always one of those kids who felt like I was born at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I was covering environmental issues as a writer, I would write a lot about environmental themes from this angle. But when, so when Unlatched, you know, it came out in 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah. and then, you know, you're impressed. So I, like, just am at the tail end of not having to promote the book anymore. And I was just thinking about the next project. And I really, 
as much as I feel passionate about breastfeeding and women's rights, it, I didn't want to, I didn't want that to become my um, the only focus. The only focus. Okay. Because really, it's this broader issue for me. It like ties yeah. into everything, especially living in the city and mm-hmm. feeling really struggling with like this is not necessarily where I would love to live. You know, I would love mm-hmm. to live somewhere more connected with nature. And how do you yeah. reconcile being here and you know feeling like that? Can totally relate. Really. <laughs> Yeah, my boyfriend and I talk about it all the time. Like, where's, like, our ideal place to live? And we can't think of a better spot than Topanga. And that's really, I think, where we want to be. Um, obviously, Everwild's here. But there are things I really love about, like, Washington or Seattle. Like, Pacific Northwest. Like, yeah. the dense forest and, like, the the wet ground and, like, the whole ecosystem up there is beautiful. But then... I can't go surfing. I'm not going to surf a bunch in the cold waters with the sharks because <laughs> it's very sharky up there. And Sharkier than here? Sharkier, yeah. It's a lot sharkier up north. Like San Cru- water, Santa Cruz right? and north is like yeah. sharky. Um, and it's really cold. Yeah, so, well, that I know. I didn't know about the sharks. Yeah, so you got to sacrifice like warmer, really good, less sharky surf down here for sharkier surf up there, but like less crowded surf. And you don't get the whole... Um, I don't know. That's really the one thing that we'd be lacking if we moved up north. Yeah. Is the surf. And here it's like, we can be close to the city. We can be close to, like, Mammoth. That's another thing. Is like, you can get to Mammoth and go snowboarding. You can go surfing. Or you can come to the city and, like, eat really good food at a restaurant that's got, like, healthy options and is locally sourced for the yeah. most part. Um and you're a skater too, right? Yeah, and we skate the canyons too. So <laughs> yeah, everything can't we skate do in is... the forest too easily. I yeah. know. My daughter just started skateboarding. Oh, fun! And that's what I, I saw a picture. I was looking for you a picture did. of you this morning for our Instagram, and I was like, what? "Her daughter's skating." Yeah, yeah. Cool. She took it in one of the after-school programs and loved it. Oh, and that's one of the things I think about. I mean, as yeah. much as I love the woods and mm-hmm. I love nature, it's also she has a way cooler upbringing than I had. I mean, I'm from kind of like a series of small towns in Connecticut. Oh. I didn't try. Japanese food or Thai food till I was like 20 yeah right let alone like real Mexican food yeah same you know (laughs) I was like the only Jewish girl in my high school and everyone was white and so she's doing all these amazing things and being exposed to a lot my husband and I looked at Central America um before we got married and had a family and we thought okay we really are interested in not necessarily well we looked at Costa Rica but we were kind of interested in Panama because we had heard that there was a lot of expats living there but there was also um like good medical facilities and things that a city kind of has to offer but in central america yeah and we actually went down there and didn't find what we wanted and we looked at a lot of different places and we made our checklist and we're like well santa monica because it we ended up right back santa monica was on the list after central america (laughs) well we're in santa monica but we were looking at all these other places. Oh, got it. From Santa Cruz. But you're from South Africa originally. No, I, I actually went to the University of Cape Town when I was in college. Got it. I was wondering about that because yes. you don't have a South African accent. And it's, Cape Town to me is like the most beautiful, gorgeous place I've ever seen in my entire life. But the point is that when we were down there and we figured out this checklist, and this is just like for us, we realized like I love the diversity of Los Angeles. And it's taken me like 10 years to say I love L.A. And I can barely say it. (laughs) And I love all the different kinds of cultures that live here. And I love that 
you can get to where you want to go like pretty easily in a couple of hours all all different kinds of nature in a couple of hours <laughs> well within two hours there's a lot yeah sometimes I think about just that hour though just to get from like, yeah. Santa Monica to town town well yeah. that kind of driving I don't like but the, I feel like there's and I've learned so much from Amanda about the nature that we actually live in that I find it fascinating that we have a giant city and we have giant national and state parks and beaches mm-hmm. right here. To me, there's more nature we're than like, city. We're like an animal living yeah. with other animals. And I just find it interesting. So I'm having a really great time like exploring what Los Angeles really has to offer Yeah, as far as like our nature destinations. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Dallas. Totally oh. landlocked. Yeah. Like suburban Dallas? Yeah, I think Dallas is only suburban. <laughs> yeah, I guess there there's some su- there's some you know outer towns that maybe feel more rural or no, it's it's um, all suburban. Yeah, but I I grew up in a really old part of Dallas, like kind of the original part of Dallas, and it's very beautiful. But it's all like manicured lawn, that kind of beauty. Yeah, and so it never felt real to me. And then my real experience of like, okay, environment is extremely important to me was living in Cape Town. Because it's also a clash of cultures there. Yeah. I love all the different cultures that live there. And how they're not trying to melt into, like, we have a stew pot. Or I say we have a melting pot in America. Some people come here and they want to become American. Yeah. Whereas over there, I love that, like, everyone wants to still retain their their heritage. Interesting. I've never been there before. It's kind of amazing because it's it's at the very bottom of Africa and you have a warm ocean on one side and a cold ocean on the other and then they just clash together right at the very tip of Africa so the energy is like really intense that's where a lot of shipwrecks happened yeah on the spice route but it's I like I think I like that push and pull and that tension and like not homogenize we recently had a family go there too yeah is it just for a first time yeah mm-hmm. to visit right? friends yeah to visit friends they had they have one son um, mm-hmm. And he came back with like a really cool like booklet with tons of photos in it about his adventures, and he brought it to Everwild and was showing everyone. He was so excited; it was really cute. He went on like Very a safari cute. trip and saw tons of animals. And rock climbing. Yeah. And... yeah, he went rock climbing. So cool. Do you think are most of the families who are enrolled in Everwild really adventure type families? I mean, what's like the mix like? I want to say that like it's fifty fifty. Yeah, some of them are already doing adventures on their own. And then the other families come in. <laughs> and oh, oh, we have a beat. And whether or not they've been doing adventures. <laughs> anyone on allergic? Their own? Sorry, no. no. Do a minute. Okay. No. Um, and anyone who's. This is like so. This is like everyone. By the way, I've been stung <laughs> twice in the past week. I was riding really? my bike. Really? Yeah, I was riding my bike to go pick up my kids at school. I think it likes the pumpkin bread. Um, and it okay, just landed on my mouth. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah, on like, your mouth? Yeah, like on the way to school. Did you. Stung? Yeah, it landed on my mouth. I don't know if it was a bee or a wasp because I just heard the buzzing and I ripped it off and then. Oh my god. Yeah, it was not. It was okay, pretty painful. Totally random. Should we put the bread inside? Yeah, I'm gonna grab a little piece. Yeah, and I'll show Amanda, you. Are you good? Um, yeah, I'm okay. good. I'm just gonna cover this because I feel like the honey. Can I give this also to you? Yeah. Because <laughs> And I'll move the pink flowers. Mm. I heard that mint actually deters. Mint? Oh no way! Is this mint or? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, spearmint. Nice. Oh, my God. Nothing like that huge swarm of bees, though, that came around the corner. I was, at kiss, the, I was at kiss the ground. Oh. No, it's gone. 
I was at Kiss the Ground with Dusty, like a couple, Dusty's my boyfriend. We went to Kiss the Ground like about a month ago. Tell everyone what Kiss the Ground is. Kiss the Ground is a community garden in Venice. Okay. And um, they have an amazing compost system there. They have vermiculture and they have a bunch of raised beds that grow vegetables for the community. And they have some fruit trees too. And they have an avocado tree and a fig tree. Um, but anyways, it's an amazing space for the community. Dusty and I were there about a month ago and <laughs> Where I'm, I'm walking him through what the launch is going to look like because we were launching the, the new program, and all of a sudden he just goes, peace, and then books it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm totally caught off guard, and I'm looking at the ground, and I was like, what? And I look up, and this swarm of bees is coming from around the corner. There's a fire station around the corner. It's like thousands of bees come around <gasps> the corner, and he's already halfway down the block. And I'm like, oh my god. And I just freaked out and ran at the bees. <laughs> what? And I just kept running into the road. And then I hear the, like, the buzzing in my hair. <gasps> oh, we've so been I'm through flipping that my head over, and I'm like, no! So what did you do? Did you get stung? I didn't get stung somehow. Oh my gosh, that's I just so booked it so fast. I had bees in my hair and eventually got them out because they probably get in my hair and they're like, where am I? They knew you were a friend to nature. Yeah. They were like, oh, it's Amanda. <laughs> we'll just say hi. Yeah. But I have gotten a wasp in my hair before, right? That was a wasp, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, we were at one of our local spots for our nature immersion program and there often we, we see dog walkers come through or people just walking their dogs and dogs are often off leash where we are because we go a lot of places that are not very popular or crowded by other people yeah. so dogs can kind of just run free which is amazing and kids get to meet a bunch of dogs but there were these two dogs that came over to say hi to the kids kids were saying hi to the dogs dogs got really excited and they went into an area where we weren't so there's like a bunch of leaves like a bunch of debris like sticks and leaves yep. the dogs just stomped through there and they must have stomped around a nest mm -hmm. and stirred up a bunch of wasps and the wasps just come flying out and you just hear the woman go bees and all the kids are like what and i'm like run <laughs> but yeah, i got so one in my hair pull them over to one side it was pretty dramatic yeah you know that the same thing actually happened to my daughter at the at our so we take an after school nature class yeah oh, fun I wonder if it's the same location. Was it Hahamongna by any chance? No. Pasadena? Okay. What's Hahamongna? It's the um, watershed park up in Pasadena. Oh, okay. We don't go to Pasadena. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty far. So, but it's so hot there. And this yeah. summer, because it was so hot, I really do think that something was making the wasps way more active than normal. And she ran through a wasp nest. Not, you, you, I mean, you can tell the difference because yeah. yes. wasps, you know, will sting repeatedly. Whereas yeah. bees once, it's like... And I couldn't get the same thing happened. Oh. I couldn't get them out of her hair. It's oh, so and she horrible. was doing the same thing. She was like running away from the trail and ran right through. I had to smash the bees in her hair. She had to oh. kill the bee. Well, it was, it oh, was you're like brave. right here. Wow. It was went, right here. And I was like, get it out. Just We're sisters it out. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do you handle it when something like that happens? Has that happened in one of your classes before? Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually that particular incident, we had a kid get stung like right in his forehead and it was you know ironically that month there was there were a lot of bees out honeybees mostly so we were actually bringing books and learning about the bees and observing the bees so it kind of became this whole lesson which concluded with a bee sting <laughs> um <laughs> but we planned it that way yeah but the, it was you know we, we went through the whole like all the steps of all the steps of empathizing with the child and mm -hmm. just caring for them in that moment and first moving them to a safer space and then giving them hugs and I have like this anti-sting stuff that I use in like moments like that 
Um, so I use some of that, and then I usually use silver, my first aid kit, and silver, silver on it. Yeah, it's like the a colloidal uh, silver. Oh, really? I'm a little scared of that because I heard a rumor that it can turn your skin blue. Is that I true? I think you oh. have to absorb a lot of it. <laughs> That's only if you ingest it, right? The people who I, take it. Or maybe they, yeah, because it actually comes out all over there. They look blue. Okay. Whoa. But that's, yeah. this is topical. You put this it on. Yeah, topical. Really, it's in, yeah. yeah, it's like a antiseptic, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but I, you can get it at Whole Foods. Um, but yeah, I use like a very little bit. I actually just bought a bottle I'm really excited about. It's a spray one. Okay. So I'm like, it's just, it's like a mist. I'm like, that's great. And the kids are always like, is it going to sting? And I'm like, no, don't worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't sting. This, this just makes it feel better. And yeah. Then, okay. I'm going to add that to my arsenal. Yeah. Slowly, as we've spent more and more time in wild spaces in LA, I, my kit's gotten bigger and bigger. Or a little yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. A little different, right? Yeah. Definitely a little different. Well, it's different. I mean, when I, where I grew up in Connecticut, um, we didn't have dangerous animals the same way. There weren't rattlesnakes. Right. Uh, there were stinging insects, but not to the same extent. I guess we had ticks. Yes. Did you so, ever experience ticks? I was from Syracuse, New York. Oh, yours. Yeah. So tell me about your upbringing because we didn't even get to talk about that, Amanda. Oh, sorry. Oh. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, please. We're all about interrupting. So um, you, I'm sure, had a lot of ticks then in upstate New York. No, I've never experienced a tick. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I used to rummage through the forest all the time. Mm-hmm. So it was surprising for me to hear how um, people here see ticks on the East Coast versus the West. And I've experienced so many ticks here on the West Coast. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh like, see, I've never seen one on the West Coast. Like at least once a week right now. Yeah, like my dog had one yesterday, and it wow. was just walking on him, so I got rid of it. But um, I'll take him out. <laughs> I'll like use him as a tester for places, because I'll bring him to places on the weekend or like the week prior to bringing the kids, and he'll run around and like judging by how many ticks he comes back with, I'm, I know like how <laughs> yeah, just what the best is and, is. yeah, and like how often I need to check the kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love the fact that every while we don't necessarily ruled rule out a location because of its yeah potential dangers or risks that we actually try to integrate like what it what it is where we're actually mm-hmm. in the ticks land or the rattlesnakes land or their environment so it's up to us to really educate the children on like well this is what you might hear this is what you might see mm-hmm. this is this is how we handle this situation and <laughs> speaking of which, a bee just and landed sometimes my it becomes a full study, <laughs> you know, sometimes it becomes like, oh, let's get, bring some books from the library or mm-hmm. someone has a book at home that they want to bring. And so I feel like the more that they feel like we're living together with these, these possible risks that it, the more you understand about it, it I'm not going to say it, it feels like less of a risk, but maybe it feels less scary. Right. And that we're part of it. That's another yeah. thing too, that we are actually a part of that whole system, which I, th- I think I love that you teach that to the children. But one thing I, I wonder about is like, so this brings me back to the question about how adventurous the parents are. So how do the parents feel about that? Has it been hard convincing some of them that these kind of risks are important, you know, for a child's growth or are most of your parents like super gung ho? Like what's the split like? Uh, a lot of them are very excited to share their personal experiences in the past. Um, with whatever it is being snakes or ticks um, or bees. So they have their own... The parents are? The parents have their own history with these type of animals and critters. And um, we recently had a parent get bit by a tick. And so she email she emailed me and she asked me, you know, do you have any experience with this? Like, how does this work? And so I give her a little bit of information because I, I always back it up with, like, where my resources come from. And... Um, 
and everything was fine, but it just helps her to... Hi, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> we have our, uh, our junior interviewer coming out in a couple minutes. Okay, that was my yeah, daughter, so Izzy, interrupting us. So, yeah, <laughs> keep going, Amanda. <laughs> um, so, most of the time when parents ask me, you know, like, they see the sign for the mountain lion. So, like, oh, there's mountain lions here. And I have to explain to them how frequently we we would actually run into a mountain lion, which has been never, and how afraid they are of us, and how we coincide in the same um, environment as these other creatures like rattlesnakes, and how we protect ourselves in the process of exploring, and what that actually looks like. And usually what'll happen is if a parent comes for a trial day or a tour day, um, because all parents get to come for a free day with their kid, um, they might ask me, and I'll say to them, oh, don't worry, I'll explain it to the group. And then they get to be a part of the whole learning process. Mm-hmm. So then most of the time before we hike in, if I know that it's a place that, you know, any place could have rattlesnakes, but some places are more dense with taller grasses and can hide these snakes better. So I'll explain to everyone, you know, does anybody know the steps that we take to avoid rattlesnakes or to make sure that they're not in our path? And then typically what will happen is her daughter, Solia, or one of the other girls who have been coming, or boys who have been coming for a long time, will be really excited to share, and they become the teachers. So the kids actually teach the new kids how we interact with other, envir- other animals and critters in our environment. So it becomes like a, well, we stomp for snakes, we look and we listen, and we carry a stick, and we poke in front of us, and Amanda goes first. And then after Amanda goes first, then we can go off on our own to explore as long as we can see each other. So yeah. Stuff like that. Um, and then usually through storytelling, too. We had a recent incident last week at um, on the Backbone Trail. We built a shelter, um, purposely built a shelter in the same area as, like, tons of blackish red ants. They weren't fire ants. Yeah. But they definitely bite, and when they bite, they kind of like pinch and then it kind of itches a little bit yep izzy's been stung by her, or bitten by a couple of those Did you get bit by those up ants? in topanga yep mm-hmm. we've been calling them bloops <laughs> and so we gave them a name and then we kind of told the story about them and why they're so important for our environment and why we need them and then uh we kind of gave them their own personalities like the, we named you were a bloop by the way great <laughs> <laughs> so we, I, all the kids were bloops we gave them all names and i told the story about their travels and how they get to the tree and then how they have their whole family on the tree and when we stomp on them and break their path then they lose their family and they're not sure which way to go and they have to find their family again so it kind of creates a relationship mm-hmm. between the kids and the yeah. living things just as i'm listening to that this i'm thinking about how much listening is happening with all of these kids. And I'm wondering if you, either of you have any experience teaching in regular schools. And the reason I'm asking this is because, so I'm the gardening lead for uh, Izzy's class. And I have a really hard time. Part of it is because I'm not a trained teacher, I'm sure. But I have noticed that kids in a normal school environment literally have such a hard time listening. And if they go outside the classroom, Mm -hmm. they are so overwhelmed by the chance to be free. Mm -hmm. Yes that they just completely lose it and there's no way to like actually learn anything. And so I was just wondering if you have any experience in a regular classroom and if you've noticed a difference between how your kids interact in Everwild versus in a regular school environment. Um, I have not had any experience um, <clears throat> in a traditional school environment. Other than when you were a child Other yourself, than when right? I actually went through school. Yeah. Um, I did have, for about two years, I worked with a junior organization in Cape Town, South Africa, where we would actually go to townships, and I worked with an art therapist there, 
and we would have a huge group of people, maybe 35 kids and two teachers. And these were children who came from a background where there really wasn't any chance to have an art experience at all. And many of them didn't really even have um, any resources. So it would be a nice uh, community space for them to come to. And I found that it is difficult when kids are not allowed a lot of freedom to then capture their attention. But I think you, we do it in spurts. So it might be getting them physically active in order to be able to hear the story that maybe is a learning lesson about rattlesnakes. Right. Something that's an important information that we need to convey. Um, and that's kind of what I did in, in Cape Town. I would do that a lot. I would do um, anything that was interactive and fun and a more playful experience and ask other people's opinions. Like Amanda was saying, has anyone here had any experience with rattlesnakes or ticks or something of that matter? And they might say, oh yeah, I do. And then we listen to their story so that it's not just Amanda has all the information and she's going to deliver it in this way, and we're all going to absorb it the exact same way. <laughs> why, are you, why are you laughing, Amanda? <laughs> Just because I, I'm thinking back to all my toughest days <laughs> where I tried to control the day, and it was just a nightmare. <laughs> really? Like the worst thing you can do is think of a plan, stick to that plan, and then expect everyone to follow your lead. Yeah. And it's like, it's great to have an idea of what you'd like to incorporate into the day, but it's... It's a disaster waiting to happen the second you think you can control the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is amazing because most of us live our lives thinking that we can control the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's where most of my frustration comes from living in L.A. is thinking that I can somehow control the day. Yeah. Speaking of which, as we, you know, we're in the flight path of Santa Monica Airport and yeah. we're trying to get good recording levels. Um, okay, so you were talking about how whenever you try to control things. Right, when yeah. you try to control things, it's just... What I've found from working with kids in nature is that when you give them the freedom to explore and let you know when they're ready to listen to a story or to have a conversation, then you're letting them you're letting them naturally go through their internal clock. So if their internal clock is like, I'm really excited right now and I really want to go look at this creek because I know there might be something really exciting inside of it or I want to see what's over there and I heard a noise and you let them go explore it then they come back (laughs) and then they're ready to tell you or talk about what they found and then that's a learning experience Mm -hmm. it's not like a all right we're going to talk about bees today everyone sit down let's I'm going to tell you guys a story about bees. And sometimes they want to show you a story. picture book of bees. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about yeah. the Meanwhile, there's a real bee right there. Right. Yeah. That we could be actually <laughs> examining. Yeah. Yep. And they're, you know, they're going around your orange tree and they're pollinating the flowers. And if you look really closely, you can actually see the pollen on their legs. Mm-hmm. And that's really What do really you cool. guys see? And what are you hearing? Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Well, all of this, as you're talking about, it seems so obvious. And yeah. yet it's not until you kind of have that aha moment so I'm just wondering when did you have this Amanda when did you have this aha moment about education and when how did you guys come up with the idea for Everwild oh man start with when <laughs> start with your aha moment I know that yeah. was too my, many questions okay I'll try to keep it really short um my aha moment was um my shift towards outdoor education happened when I was in college happened in my last semester of college at the same moment that I realized I was in the wrong major. What, so what was your major? <laughs> Physical education. So oh. I actually went to school and got my teaching credentials in New York State. And I got a bachelor's degree in, um, in physical education. And 
it was in my last semester that I took an adventure course in the Adirondacks for two weeks that I realized that I was totally in the wrong major. And I was like, why didn't they put this in the beginning? Like, I totally would have been in outdoor education this whole time. But I was like, I'm, my parents would be so mad if I don't graduate and get this degree. Like, it's thousands of dollars. So wow. I followed through and got my degree. Um, and I did my student teaching. And my student teaching came after this class. And it kind of solidified the idea that I didn't want to be in a traditional school. I didn't think anything was wrong with traditional schooling. I just felt like it wasn't for me. And I think it certainly serves its place for certain kids because not every kid learns the same. Some kids need the, the traditional schools that we have. But I think there's also a place for those kids who need a different or alternative type of education. And that's where I felt outdoor education kind of came into play. And um, so I took, two, I took that adventure class and I took a master's class in inclusive outdoor education. I also thought I wanted to work with kids who had disabilities. Is that and what it, inclusive means? Inclusive in means okay. students with disabilities. So I, it's not that I'm not interested in that now, it's just my, I've, as I've grown and my philosophy has grown, I started to draw my, I was beginning to get drawn towards forest schooling. Uh, I yeah, guess we, we just did, did a term. We just did a show on forest schools. Oh, so I know, cool. I can't wait. I, I, I read the synopsis, but I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah, that's thanks. Awesome. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, that's why I actually found you because I was looking. Yeah. Why not? We were struggling with what's going on in the LAOC school system. I thought I heard about forest schools. I saw the New York Times piece about. It. I thought I'm going to look for forest schools. Like surely we must have a yeah. whole bunch. No, <laughs> surely. And then that was a while ago, and nothing. And then I looked again, and Everwild yeah. popped up. That's How'd awesome. you find us? That's why I found you. I was researching like forest no schools in LA. That's great. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so exciting to hear. You're doing a good job with somewhere. the Google search. <laughs> Whatever words. we're doing is, is doing. Yeah. We're doing that. Um, okay, so where were we? Uh, uh, basically, so I, my sh attention shifted from traditional schooling, physical education, to outdoor education. Yeah. To then I took that master's class and to my student teaching. I was like, yeah, definitely not. Traditional school is for me. And then. I knew I wanted to move to California because I was kind of, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, mm -hmm. like central New York, and um, I'd kind of ex exhausted the area and had built a strong relationship with it, and I loved where I grew up, but I felt that I was ready for the next step. Right. And to me, Los Angeles was a big city. I kind of wanted a culture shock, and I kind of wanted to explore a new place and build a new relationship with, with a new place. So drove across the country, moved here. Um, and then that's when I, you know, before I moved here, I started thinking, you know, what do I really want to do with my life? I really want an outdoor education program for kids. Moved here, kept growing as a human and growing my philosophy. And then I, when I got here, I, I did a few like phys ed related jobs. And I'm like, what am I doing in my life? Like, <laughs> this is not what I'm truly interested in. I, I really need to do like a search for what I'm interested in. And that's forest schooling. So I did a search on Craigslist and I found LA Nature Kids. Then I started working for Nature Kids. Which, um, for our listeners, is another outdoor program, but it's preschool-based, right? Yes. Okay. So, it's preschool-based, but they also have summer camps, and they have after-school programs. Um, a lot of the families who send their kids to this, these programs um, send their kid to a traditional school or Waldorf or Ocean Charter. Um, they may go all different Waldorf directions after the preschool. Yeah. So, that, yeah, after the preschool, they might go all different directions. A lot of the families who do preschool there are also interested in homeschooling. Um, but they're very much interested in an alternative education philosophy for their kids and an outdoor education philosophy for the kids. So they send their kids to Christopher um, at LA Nature Kids. Okay. And um, that's where uh, Elizabeth and I and Rebecca and Emily all met. They were oh, sending you, their kids. you were all at LA Nature Kids. So I was doing yeah. the mad search too. <laughs> 
But you, but basically, you ended up becoming a teacher there. I became the phys ed teacher there. Yeah. For LA. Oh, sorry. I became the the preschool teacher. <laughs> the preschool teacher slash like outdoor extraordinary mentor awesomeness. Preschool teacher. I did camps. I did the after school. I was like all over the place. I learned to work a lot and really hard. So I kind of got into as much as I could, and then, um, yeah. I met you guys, and I was Solia's preschool teacher and her teacher in the after school. Yep. And I found it because I had started off with attachment parenting. With your own daughter? Yeah. Okay. And I don't even know if I really ever called it that. I just knew how I wanted to be with her and how my husband and I wanted to be with her. So we just were doing the way we wanted to be with her. That's what happened to us. I call it, like, by default, attachment parenting. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) My baby's amazing. I want to spend time with her and as a family. And then it came to this preschool time thing that happens in all of our minds. Like, okay, the preschool thing. Where's your kid going to preschool? What's going on with preschool? And I had looked at um, Christopher's program, and we actually went on a day with him, which was amazing. And it was pouring down rain, which never happens. And the kids were covered in mud. And I thought, this is amazing. Like, this is what I want for Solia. I'm sure she'll want it, too, because she's always covered in mud and did she did she love it she loved it and she was really she was really little um at the time but we didn't send her at that time i think it took like a whole nother year till she went to this preschool to la nature kids and um she just catapulted she just thrived and i could tell she was in her element and i loved um, Christopher mm-hmm. and then I started meeting Amanda and I was like these are all amazing people and then I think we did a year and a half and it was graduation and then you know all the questions are well where is she going to, to kindergarten right and I thought so are big questions uh-oh. when you live in LA <laughs> where is she going to kindergarten and then my parents where is she going to kindergarten I'm thinking I um let me get back to you on that right so it did I've we toured some schools. I looked online, and then sometimes I didn't even get past things that were online. They Where just, were you living at the time? Santa Monica. So West Side, okay. West Side. So there's so many options in Los Angeles. I mean, there's really, like, amazing options, I think. Yeah. Um, but I just couldn't find anything. I couldn't find the same type of learning environment, and I really knew that she needed at least two or three more years of this of being free outside to explore herself and find what she's really interested in because she was only, what, five, four and a half? Right. And um, I had mentioned this to Rebecca, who's one of the other founders of Everwild, and she said, well, you know, Amanda has always (laughs) wanted to have an outdoor school or some kind of program with kids, and you guys should at least talk to each other. So we talked to each other, and then... Rebecca also came on board because she had wanted, she's interested in education and, and different kinds of education and it's kind of intellectual like conversation that we, all three of us always have about how to change, how to change the system or just create a new system. And, and she has kids too. She has two children now. Mm-hmm. So Juniper, who's a little younger. Oh, Juniper, I love that name. And Ivy, who's adorable. So cute. And um, anyway, we started the conversation probably, I would say in May of 2016 yeah in may of 2016 we went and got coffee together the three of us and we all voiced our concerns for you guys voiced your concerns for where your kids were going yeah and i voiced my like desire for this program 
and how my philosophy had grown and I was I also voiced my concern that I wasn't ready but that I'd also been telling myself that for like four years right (laughs) from the moment I had decided I wanted a program it was probably like four years later where I actually like met these guys and we kind of talked together on how we can make this happen all right hold that thought for one second I'm gonna see if I can just possibly maybe they're almost finished maybe this is one of my favorite parts of the story which one about one where we conference called from Costa Rica oh. <laughs> over Labor Day weekend because she's like, well, I, I've already planned this trip with my boyfriend. Who was in Costa Rica? I was, Amanda? In, I was in Costa Rica a week before our first day of Everwild. First day. Oh, okay. And so my we thought, oh, you know what? Aww. It's totally fine. Solia will be the only one there and we're just going to go through the motions. It's, just to rehearse Just it. do it. Just start doing it. Like, why can't we just start? No one's going to tell us we have to have some minimum. We have one. And we're like, Let's well, we do won't it. have like a bunch of kids. So. so we said, Amanda, we have seven kids the first day. <laughs> I got an email <laughs> Costa Rica, and I was like, seven? Okay, oh God. I'm ready. <laughs> I was like, so it's starting. So you hadn't, you didn't know how many kids were signing up before that well, first Well, people day? were signing up, but you know, we, we just started it. We didn't have major contacts or a whole giant group of people who wanted to do this thing or yeah. who even understood it or who even like... I mean, it, it's a giant step, I realize this, for people to go from a forest preschool to then a forest-style kindergarten to then a first grade. Like, to continue on that path is a giant leap for families. Because what's the age range that you have for your families? Right now, four and a half to 12. Yeah, so you, it goes way up in age. So yeah, you- we actually have mixed age groups yeah. that work together. So why do you think it's so hard for most parents? What's the huge leap? I think that for the most part, um, the huge leap is that society expects us to go down one path. Right. And then if it doesn't feel right or it doesn't feel good, often we don't know that there's other resources available. That would be one thing. And then maybe we don't get the support that what our thoughts and feelings about this traditional path don't feel right to us and so maybe we're like well i'm a little nervous to just do something new and so i'll just stick with this plan because it's already here and then i feel like because something like our program is pretty new as far as like i love the explosion of all the nature and forest preschools there's just so much happening and it's awesome but i feel like we there need to be more programs for older children Agreed. I mean, what I would like to see is more of this ultimately incorporated into regular school so yeah. that homeschooling parents don't have to scramble to do the academic things yeah. and have outdoor education. Like, mm-hmm. I'd love to see a the hybrid. world where you have, you could get what Izzy does in school yeah. in a day. Six, how many hours is it? Six hours? Yeah. Yeah. She could do it an hour a day or two hours And maybe. not even have to do it every day. No. And then go spend the rest of the time outside. And I just, yes. I love that you're doing this. It's amazing. But also... My heart breaks that it's just like it's a for sliver. All these parents. It's a it's a lot to have to. Do you feel like it's a lot to negotiate on your own? I mean, I know you're. Um, I think that I've I follow. I kind of fell into homeschooling <laughs> because I wasn't in love with the traditional school system. Yeah. So I wasn't like I'm going to homeschool. It was okay. I'm going to just go this way. Mm-hmm. And then I found out kind of like oh, it's called this. And then I started watching and observing my daughter, who's very different than I am, that she wasn't interested in any type of traditional type of way of learning or even conveying that she's learned something. 
like for doing making a worksheet or something that I would have been probably fine with when I was a kid. I'm just a different person, but I can recognize like this is not going to work for her. And then I, I like most people when they hear about all the terms, you know, the homeschooling and the unschooling and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds interesting. And then you just start reading about it. And I think one of the things that I really enjoyed listening to is, and I don't know if you if you do you listen to Pamela Rikia's unschooling podcast. I do not. That's a fantastic resource. And the reason why I like it is that the people on her podcast are doing all kinds of, it probably all falls under unschooling, but they're really just following what works for their child. And so there's not like a strict pathway, even on the unschooling pathway. Right. I love that every time she interviews a family, they have a different set, a system, and they have different kids, and maybe all the kids are doing something totally different. And so I like that the, there's diversity and that there was room for Solia in that kind of system. Right. Um, but I think that what Amanda and I have really enjoyed discovering about Everwild is that it's like all of these choices we make, this is a way of life. And we've started discussing how it's the Everwild way. And that, oh, if we go to a new place now, if I go somewhere with Solia, I'm understanding that like this little patch of grass that you may find in a parking lot can actually be an amazing place. And what's in it and what's happening and what sounds do we hear? And so the Everwild way can kind of just be a new way of following through your child's eyes and then getting curious and staying there and knowing that you don't have to jump in the car and drive for six hours to have an amazing experience. Well, and that's one of the things I think that's hardest about wanting to have a nature experience in LA is that you do feel like you have to drive so far. And so navigating those two worlds, at least for me, has been really challenging. So, well, it's funny because I mean, I know Amanda, you know, they're always like, how do you find these places? How do you find these places? And she's like, I go out all the time. It's my passion. Like I go on the weekends and I discover and we'll have people who, parents who say, I've lived here for 40 years and I have never turned down this road. And I think, okay, but what's cool is the kids and the families now, because we have family programs, who are coming to Everwild are going to turn down those roads now. They're going to find these places on their own because they're, because they're starting to see things in a different way. Yeah. You know, like, hey, that's really cool. Let's pull over to the side of the road. I think I see um, a, a bunch of flowers. Maybe there's some butterflies over there. You know, it's kind of like um, knowing that what we actually have in Los Angeles is pretty precious. Right. And you're raising it or you're helping to raise a generation of people who will not be staring at their iPhones all the yeah, time. Right. Or yeah. thinking that you have to get all the way to like you know, uh, Mammoth or Costa Rica or whatever to to have a connection with nature. Yeah. I think the biggest question that you could ask and these guys ask constantly (laughs) is I wonder, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. It's I wonder what's over there. I wonder what's around that corner or down Mm -hmm. that road. And these guys might be saying, I wonder what's on the other side of this brick wall. Mm -hmm. And not so much I wonder what's in the forest three miles away. It's um, Mm -hmm. I wonder what's at the top of this tree, so I'm going to climb up it. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what encourages the exploration. And at Everwild, how we incorporate that into the Everwild way is that it's child-led, meaning 
meaning that we let them lead. So by letting them lead, they're taking us to all the places that they're wondering about. And David Sobel says that a very small place can be a whole universe for a child. So mm-hmm. a pond and under a rock and in the crack of a sidewalk is a whole universe for them. And letting them show you that they're interested and wondering what's happening there is is letting them lead their learning. And I think that's so important for them. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're talking about child-led, I thought we would wrap up this amazing interview with some child-led questions because we're lucky enough to have Izzy here with us. Hi, Izzy. I'm Elizabeth. Izzy. This is Elizabeth and Amanda. I'm Amanda Amanda. Well, I was wanting, um, I was um, wondering about what do you um, do at your, at Everwild? Oh, what do we do? That's a great question. Well, we go exploring. Um, we also offer projects, but you don't have to do them, only if you're interested. And sometimes the kids come up with their own projects. So this whole month, we were focusing on shelters, so we've been building lots of forts and shelters and teepees. And some have been like this big, because maybe we're thinking of building a shelter for some magical creatures, or maybe a squirrel. Mm-hmm. And kind of letting, looking around and using our eyes for materials. Oh. So we use nature to build most of our projects. And another one of the projects we did this past month was a dream catcher. So a lot of the kids made dream catchers. Some of the kids weren't interested in dream catchers, and that's okay. The kids that weren't interested in dream catchers decided they wanted to make swings. Mm-hmm. So they kind of picked their own project, and they made swings, and they swung over what we call Froggy Pond. So they swung over this pond and then back into like a muddy slope. And some of them fell in the pond. It's kind of funny. Oh, yeah. Sometimes on purpose and sometimes by accident. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Izzy? What? Um, um, now I'm sort of wondering about the dream catchers. How do you make the dream catchers so they don't like fall, fall apart? Mm-hmm. I once tried to make a dream catcher from this, uh, 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 like I had this in my backyard that was sort of could bend and then I tried weaving grass through it mm. and then I tried just sticking on feathers but it didn't work. What's your oh, key wow. to making them? You're really close. The part where you said you found a bendy stick, that's what we had to find. We had to find bendy sticks and a stick that's really strong but really bendy is called mule fat and also you can use willow. You know mule fat. Mm-hmm. So if you can find a skinny branch like that and you saw it off the shrub and you make a circle or you can make a teardrop shape or even like a triangle, it doesn't have to be a perfect circle. And then we use what's called jute or hemp, which is a natural rope. And we tied it together so that it wouldn't come apart and it would stay mm-hmm. that shape. And then we used, what else we, we used hemp for the rest of it. We kind of made what's what we call the spider web. So you just make a half knot and you just keep doing that all the way around. Mm-hmm. And it really helps to have the second person hold your half knot still as you make knots going all the way around and then it slowly goes like a spiral into the center the way a spider would kind of make their actually I guess spiders make them differently so that's yeah they go from the inside yeah but it kind of makes like a spiral (laughs) um and a lot of our friends would tie like some of them had gems with them they brought from home and some I found a crystal a quartz crystal at the pond and I tied that into the center and some some of our friends found feathers which was really cool at another place that we is called Red Rock. There's some caves there. We found lots of bird feathers. So we use those at the ends of our strings. And you get the last question. I love that explanation, by the way, didn't you? <laughs> um, 
what do you what would you do if a kid um keeps on misbehaving oh that's a really that is good, a really question. good question i think that um it's great that we have a lot of different mentor personalities in our hip pocket. So sometimes we have, cause it's not just Amanda there by herself. So Amanda has support from other mentors and I might be there, Rebecca might be there, but we have volunteer mentors as well. And um, one of the things we try to do is listen first, right? Because I think that all of us like to be heard and what, you know, let's, let's sit down. Sitting down is a good thing. And let's listen and take our time, right? Yeah. So if someone is misbehaving, um, first of all, we, I've noticed that I don't, I've worked in traditional schools and I've worked in outdoor schools like Everwild and LA Nature Kids. And I've noticed that we don't see as much of what you would call misbehaving in these outdoor schools because the kids do get to run freely. And I think when they have a chance to get all of their energies out, they have more of an urge to work together with their friends and they are calm enough to hear their friends. So there's a little bit less conflict, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. When I see conflict or misbehaving and if I see that it's dangerous, I'll stop it by saying freeze and then I'll go right over and I'll talk to, if someone got hurt, I'll talk to them. Sometimes there's stick playing and it gets you know, sometimes it might get out of control and I'll have to say, are you okay? And I ask friends if they're all right, if they're hurt. And if they're hurt, then we, if we need to use first aid kit, we use first aid kit, we use hugs. But then whoever did the hurting, I say, it looks like, you know, maybe we need to pause sticks for the day for you and we can come back to sticks next time. Or it sounds like we need to create a rule for this game because it looks like you guys seem to be hitting each other and the body is too hard. So what kind of rule can we come up with in the stick game so we don't hurt each other? And usually that's what will happen, is it'll be because it's an accident and it's a game. And so the kids will come up with a rule to prevent them from hurting each other, and then they'll be able to keep playing stick game. Um, so you're saying, like, if, if the kids that are in regular schools, they are just sitting at desks and need to get the energy out, so they just misbehave. And if you're at, like, um, an outdoor school like Everwild, you you have a chance to run free, so there are no mis there's not a lot of misbehaving. But if there is, and somebody gets hurt, you try to comfort them. Mm -hmm. And the person who did the hurting, like they they make up a rule so that it will prevent it from happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, yeah. you're a great listener. Or sometimes, like we have, we're outside, so we like to throw rocks because throwing rocks can actually be kind of cool and interesting and we don't really get to throw rocks at our houses or anywhere else in the urban environment so throwing rocks i love how amanda um speaks with the children and says okay if it looks like you want to throw rocks um but let's find a safe place to throw rocks so that it's safe for you the person who's throwing rocks who doesn't bounce off and hit you or break into a lot of pieces and make sure it's safe for everybody else so we always try to come up with solutions I think Izzy probably should have done this interview. Those were great questions, sweetie. 
And we're gonna just wrap it up now. So I just wanted to say thank you, Elizabeth. Thank, thank, you. thank you, Amanda. Thank you, awesome. So much fun. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can people follow you? Are you, are you on social media? Oh yeah. Okay. So um, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can find us at Everwild LA or EverwildLA.com. Um, on our website, you can find the Nature Immersion Program, where you will also find a button for a free trial day. And it'll take you to my email, and we can schedule you a free trial day. And you also have classes that aren't just homeschooling classes, right? Yeah, we have. Uh, we are a 501c3 tax-exempt um, organization, so we offer community projects, our community um, programs, and we currently are running our family adventures program. So that's also a great way for any family who's um, in any type of schooling environment or has children of any age to come and spend time with us in the Everwild way and see nature places together and make new friends. Any camping trips coming up? We would love to do overnight camping trips. (laughs) We keep getting asked. That's what we would love just because we love to go camping. And, you know, in in our conventional school, there aren't that many families that are into it. Yeah, so that is going to happen in the future. Yes, that is going to happen in the future. We're working on um, applying for grants right now. Um, As a nonprofit, we we have a small board of directors right now and a small list of employees. So as we grow... Um, number-wise and financially, we can start providing more programs for the community. Another one of them is an environmental conservancy program, which is a mouthful, um, but it's for older kids uh, ages 11 to 17, and that's the one that's at um, Kiss the Ground Community Gardens, um, but we're seeking funding for that one so we can get it further off the ground and provide like composting and community gardening projects. That's so great. I'm so glad you guys are in LA. <laughs> Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Izzy. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio so you don't miss the next one. And please leave us a rating and review. If you want to talk more about this episode or have an idea for a future show, head over to my Instagram page. That's at Jennifer Grayson one As with every episode, the resources and links for this show are available at jennifergrayson.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, which comes out once a month. Our theme music is by composer Paul Damian Hogan. That's it for me, and I'll see you next Monday with a new episode.